Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're viewing A Demon's Guide to Wooing a Witch by Sarah Hawley. This was published in 2023 and is the second book in the Glimmer Falls series. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy for this review. And we have reviewed the first book in the series, which is A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon. If you want to check that one out, check our backlist. You definitely have to read that one before you read this one. Yeah. Don't read this one unless you've read that one. And don't listen to this episode unless you've listened to that one. I mean, you can listen to this episode. It's fine. You don't have to. But but we're definitely going to be spoiling the first book. Yep. Because this book literally starts about an hour after. Like literally right away. I didn't realize how soon after until, well, I read until I read this book. I was like, where are you going with that thing? (laughs) Then I figured it out pretty quick. PDQ. In chapter one. All righty. So the book jacket. Caladia Cunnington knows she's rough around the edges, despite being the heir to one of small town Glimmer Falls' founding witch family. While her gym obsession is a great outlet for her anxieties and anger, her hot temper still gets the best of her and manifests in bar brawls. When Caladia saves someone from a demon attack one night, though, she's happy to put her magic and rage to good use. Until she realizes the man she saves none other than Astaroth, the ruthless demon who orchestrated a soul bargain on her best friend. Astaroth is a legendary soul bargainer and one of the nine members of the Demon High Council. Except he can't remember any of this. Suffering from amnesia after being banished to the mortal plane, Astaroth doesn't know why a demon named Moloch is after him, nor why the muscular, angry, hot, in a terrifying way witch who saved him hates him so much. Unable to leave anyone in such a vulnerable state, even the most despicable demon, Caladia grudgingly decides to help him. Besides, punching an amnesiac would be in poor taste. The two set out on an uneasy road trip to find the witch who might be able to restore Azeroth's memory so they can learn how to defeat Mok. Caladia vows that once Astaroth is cured, she'll kick his ass. But the more time she spends with the snarky yet utterly charming demon, the more she realizes she likes this new improved Astaroth. And maybe she doesn't want him to recover his memories after all. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, we got the tropes, amnesia and road trip. Right. So we're good. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's okay. I don't know. Any other tropes? I mean, there's a ton, but we haven't done our random number summary. Oh, we skipped the random number summary. Well, as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50. And then we wrote... Random number summaries using that number as a word count. And for this episode, the number that we generated was seven. Kick us off, Lee. Eternal enemies of 12 hours make up. That's really sweet. Very sweet. You know, it's really nice to see these, like, lifelong eternal enemies just making peace and just gives me hope for the future. Yeah, they met 12 hours ago, but eternal enemies. Mm Mm-hmm. Meg, what was your summary? Well, Lane, amnesia gives us all a fresh start. Yes. All right. So 
We said amnesia rom- and road trip romance. Mm-hmm. There is an only one bed situation. There is. Which was fun. Um, and like a lot of times, not just only one bed, there's also only one tent. Yes. The only one bed was very explicit, though. Oh, well, it, yes. A little twist, but like she thinks there's going to be multiple beds in the room and there are not. Yep. She's like, what the hell? And then she's like, okay, fine. We can share that bed. It's very only one bed. Like, very only one bed. Yeah. Um, They are... She specifically has a lot of issues about being heir to this dynasty and she doesn't feel like she fits in and, like, her mom doesn't appreciate her and all of those loaded feelings. Yeah. He's apparently this total jerk. And, I mean, in the first book, he really was a total yes. jerk. But his mom is kind of awesome. Yeah. But his parents... his. I would say he has daddy issues, but really he just has, like, parentage issues. Like, they both are struggling with the legacy passed down by their families Mm. in Mm -hmm. different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in different ways. Hers is very um, human, and his is very not. Yeah. Which makes sense. Right. He's a demon. There's a lot of jealousy stuff, especially on his part. There is, and I don't usually call that out because it's just like it's not even worth mentioning as a trope because it's all the time. But it's a lot here. It is. It is a lot. It is a lot. And she's the trust fund baby determined to make it on her own. Mm-hmm. There is like a little bit of. So this is kind of an interesting take on it, right? Um, there she doesn't. So we have a lot of romances where the women are not conventionally attractive, although mm-hmm. most of the time they're slender, right? Mm-hmm. She is not conventionally attractive because she is very muscular. Right. So in certain circumstances, like she's like more muscular than he is. She's right. kind of interesting. And I, I did enjoy that, I think, as a little take on the, you know, the appearance trope, right? There was a micro trope that I don't think is worth mentioning as a spoiler. At one point, she thinks he's so prim and proper, it makes me want to mess him up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even though there is nothing inherently gendered about that statement, it is the first time I've ever seen a woman thinking it about a man. Yeah. And not like the idea that I want to like kiss that smirk off of his face. I mean, specifically this idea that he's so prim it makes me want to mess him up yeah i think it's in the that specific prim, way right because like we certainly see like starchy dukes who need to but right? it's also the, the raw sexuality of this idea i want to like yes. physically mess up your pristine yes. exterior in a raw way yes. there's a lot of i can think of women in historicals who have said like i want to unfasten his tie and, like, does he always have to look so put together it makes me feel inferior? I want to muss his hair, you know, right, stuff like that. Right, but the explicit, sure. like, clearly I want to fuck him in the mud usually is a, a male sentiment. Mm-hmm. Even though there's, yeah. like I said, nothing inherently gendered about it. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, I do think she, I think she is trying to 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 give us a different take on some of these, right, traditionally mm. feminine, traditionally masculine. Like, he's right. not... They're exactly the same height, right? So it's not like she's taller, he's shorter, but they're the same height. She's like more muscular than he is, but he can handle himself in a fight. 
like there are times where she meets these guys who are like tall and muscular and like really built and she's like this is the guy who people assume that i will go for right but i'm actually not into that so that's kind of interesting i thought yeah she's very much into like physical opposites attract mm-hmm. which is fine i just she definitely fucks around with traditional gender roles in this one in a really fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, quick summary of the first book, because uh, we were spoiling that one with reckless abandon. <laughs> Do it. Muriel and Azeroth. Muriel is Palladia's best friend. Azeroth is Astaroth's former pupil. God, these fucking names. Um, I'm going to call them Oz and Ass. Oz Ass and Ass. People, people um, and Ass is as, as, just say Ass. Don't say Ass. Ass is tricked at the end of the first book into enabling Muriel to keep her soul and Azeroth to be free. Yeah. And because he basically fucked that up so badly and did not get either of the things he was supposed to... This book opens with him facing his comeuppance on the demon plane. Uh-huh. And you're in his head briefly as he prepares to go to this meeting of the council to learn his fate. And you know in his head he's got some damning evidence that he's about to whip out. That it's going to change his fates. And everything goes wrong before he can say it. This book exclusively worked for me because it was amnesia. Mm-hmm. If I had to deal with him talking around demon politics for the whole book... I would have been so incensed. Yeah. Like the, the reveal for this only works if he has no idea what's going on. I I think this is interesting as an amnesia romance because I think yeah. many amnesia romances lean in on the angst, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time I feel like in amnesia romance, the partner who doesn't have amnesia knows something. Like there's either a relationship going on that the other person doesn't know or there's actually a stalker yeah like lots of different things that can happen and in this case like she meets him and she's like no i hate you this is everything i know about you like she tells him everything that she knows about him right and he knows how he feels about her so there's no angst about like the amnesia like there is she's like worried about how he's like will he change is this is the person who he is the real person right with right. amnesia or without amnesia but it's not like this angst where we have this shared history and if he knew about this shared history he wouldn't love me like i'm thinking it was like sherry thomas right yes exactly there's they need to restore his memory because they're being attacked by this evil demon moloch mm-hmm. and they feel like restoring his memory will help them in right. that endeavor if they understand what the hell is going on but they don't have enough of a history for the amnesia to be personal to them at all. Right. So I do think this is this is kind of an interesting take on the amnesia romance in that I, in that sense. I do just need to mention that the amnesia is so selective in a way that makes no sense. And you just have to accept it. I mean, I feel like that's just a, a, a inherent in the amnesia trope because they have to remember certain things and then other things they don't. I don't know. He basically remembers everything up until like. 100 years ago. Except for the first 40 years of his life. hmm <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah. 
He's got your 40 through 600. We're 40 through 500. And yeah, yeah. then everything else is a blur. <laughs> yeah. But I, I liked what she did with the amnesia, which is that he learned things about himself. Right. That he suppressed. Right. Yes. That he had suppressed um, with his memories, with his experiences. And now that he doesn't have all of that weighing him down, he can. Right. He can be his true self. Right. And I did like that aspect of it. So I, I enjoyed that part of of how she used how she utilized the amnesia. Right. And I did like buy them as an unconventional pair. Yeah, I did, too. They were both very attracted to each other. I bought the sexual chemistry like all of that stuff, I believed. So the arc of this book is essentially he gets banished to the mortal realm, gets amnesia. Again, this is the summary. They end up stuck together because she saves him and doesn't feel like she can abandon him. And then like the very next morning, they're attacked and for a series of reasons end up like needing to work together. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is this road trip that they're going on to find this person they think can help them mm-hmm. while trying to evade Mulrock and <laughs> Moloch. Whatever. Um, and it's just kind of honestly a road trip through parts of the mystical world that you didn't get to see in book one, which was super confined to this like one stereotypical magical town. Yeah. So that was pretty fun. I don't clearly Muriel and Oz were different characters than Caladia and Azar, but the book felt very similar. Yeah, it did. Like, and it's not that the characters were the same, and it's not that the plot was the same. And like, you have the same level of working together, which I usually really enjoy, but. I just didn't connect with this one. I can't disagree with you. I can't disagree with you. I, I don't know if it's the book's fault or if it's just my fault. Like if I've yeah. been reading too much contemporary lately. So the, this book tries to do charming in a way that I think I sometimes find cloying. Mm. And I felt the same way in the first book. And like a big example of this for me is the pajamas she's wearing when they're stuck in the only one bed situation are these like utterly absurd and unsexy things. <laughs> and then things. is the sex scene, the description of him removing them is clearly supposed to be like funny and charming, mm-hmm. but it all just came off as very weird to me. And like, you just take partially... off the fucking pajamas. I also have a very good friend who, for reasons that are just completely unknown to me, wears these hideous and absurd footy pajamas all the time. <laughs> and like, and I say when like she knows we're ordering and we're not going anywhere, we're just like having a girls' movie night. But I also mean like when we go on road trips and she has to get out of the car to like go to gas stations. And first, I all I could picture was my friend Mary in her like fucking absurd child's onesie. And it's like hanging out with someone in that outfit is like kind of funny. I didn't, I just didn't get it here. I just didn't get it. I mean, on the one hand, I did appreciate that she's not a pajama person. And the only reason she had it is because it was in her go bag. Right. So I did appreciate that part. I thought that was kind of funny. And then she was like, I'm with this guy. Like, fuck it. If he can't take me in my footy pajamas, he can't take me 
It, it wasn't the existence of the pajamas. It was the existence of the pajamas during the sex during, scene. During the sex scene, yeah. Like, it's just such a... It's... The imagery is so childlike. Yeah. And I, like, I will say this point blank. I do not like any allusions to, like, being into youth, as we have discussed. Like, student-teacher fantasies are never going to be my thing. Like, I really don't like any degree of infantilization during sex. Like, please don't put daddy on the page. I will immediately check out. And I feel like, for me, it immediately took me to that headspace. Mm. Like, she is wearing pajamas that literally have a diaper butt flap. I mean, really I'm going to be honest, I thought the butt flap was going to make an appearance in the sex scene, and Thank it God. didn't, so you should be happy, Elaine. I just, like, the way, it was infantilizing to me, and this is just one of my major icks, that it, like, ruined the whole scene for me. Yeah, yeah. So there's kind of this interesting thing that she does with the demons, which is that they run hot, and so they want to be hot all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, she had this, one of the things I did appreciate about her and her world building is that she was consistent about that the entire way. Yeah. So like they go to a hot spring and he's like, ah, finally, this feels so good. And she's like, this is way too hot for me, you know? Yeah. So you have to ease into this. I don't know. I just, I appreciated that. Her world building is consistent. Yeah. 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 Which sounds like faint praise, but. I mean, maybe it is, but maybe it should be the minimum praise. But, like, so many people don't do it that she I really like it. bit off a pretty complex magical community. Mm-hmm. And I think she's walked the line of providing enough context and explanation without, like, a full expository distraction. Yeah. Which has been fun to, like, get little glimpses of the yeah. magical world without needing, like, a full rundown. I think she's doing a good job with that in yeah. general. Um, so they're going on this road trip to see this this person who they think can help. When they met this person, Lane, I knew right away. Did you know right away yes. there was something suspicious about this specific thing that happened? I could have predicted the entire last 40% of the book. I don't read these to be surprised. <laughs> well, I was a little frustrated with them because I was like, really, guys? Really, guys? Really? Yeah. I don't know. I was... This is just me being frustrated with people lately. They're being a little dumb, in my opinion. I mean, he had amnesia. Well, him, yeah, but like, I don't know. I just feel like this is something you could have predicted. But maybe I've just been reading too many romance novels. Yeah, I I think this is something that, like, I think the entire way the end of the book went down is something very predictable to a reader. But I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the characters in the moment not reading this like they're trying to predict a plot arc. I don't know. I feel like in real life if this happened. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. I cannot even begin to have a real life comparison to you on this one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I come up with like really weird real life shit with Julian. He can't. I don't even know where you'd begin. I'd have to think about it. I have to think about it. Good world building. Unique characters. It didn't reinvent any sort of wheels. It applied tropes you kind of know, and it's definitely recognizably a sequel to the first book. I think if you really enjoyed the first book, you're going to like this. Yeah. I think if you like the first book, you're going to like this. I liked the ending. Like, I liked how she resolved the conflict. Mm -hmm. I liked how... 
the whole like demon versus human thing was resolved. Like I, I actually really enjoyed it. I liked the pro immigration stance. Yes. Thumbs up. That was cool. And yeah, I thought it was fun. So sexiness, I'm sorry, content warnings. Um, her ex-boyfriend definitely abused her and you have the direct quote. It's not like he hit me. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. am all for normalizing emotional abuse as abuse mm-hmm. and making people more comfortable talking about it. I think I've read like three books in the last six weeks that have had the phrase, it's not like he hit me. Yeah. And I'm sort of ready for that to be conveyed differently. Right, right, right. So there's that. And her mother is definitely neglectful and abusive yeah. toward her and... Unlike the first book where it seemed like there was some, like, detente between Muriel and her family and, like, a degree of understanding was come to by the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Caladia's family's dynamic does not get the same redemption in a way that felt really organic and authentic, but is clearly traumatic. Yeah, like, there was a resolution, but it's not, like, a happy family resolution. Like, it doesn't end up with a, I know everyone's just trying their best and it's coming from a place of love and we all love each other. Like, that was the ending of the first book. That is not the ending of this one. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's different from a lot of historical romance where it ends up with, oh, they were doing these things, but they were doing it because they didn't realize that it's not what I wanted. Right. You know, and in this one, it was really like, I've told her what I want for years and she still won't. She won't budge, you know? Right. So, so it's, it, yeah. It's it's a toxic family dynamic that does not get wrapped up in a bow. Yeah, exactly. So now we do sexiness, that we've covered things that are triggering. I thought this was, um, I thought there was very hot sexual tension in this book. LOL, because he's actually hot. He's very hot. But, like, there was also a lot of sexual attention. I liked that she didn't want to be attracted to him. Mm-hmm. But couldn't help it because he's just hot in many ways. There was a lot of violence is sexy in this. Mm-hmm. Which I found interesting. I'm not somebody who inherently hates violence in these sorts of books and, like, that idea. But usually when you see violence, it's in the name of some sort of higher cause. Yes. And there was a lot of violence for violence's sake in this, and I'm not sure how I felt about it. it well, it, it was kind of interesting to me because it was very much so. Caladia has obviously has anger management issues, right? But she lives in this magical society where it's very difficult to actually like harm someone, right? So like she loves having brawls with werewolves because they can all just hit each other and then they feel good about it, right? Part of the reason she's really into Astaroth is that he treats her like an equal, right? He's like, oh. That means being willing to see her hurt. Right. That means that, like, she can hold her own so she can get punched in the face by a werewolf and I'll have her back, but I don't need to get revenge on the werewolf. Right. It's also, it's interesting to me because... I'm not sure how, like, strong and resilient witches are supposed to be physically. Mm-hmm. Because clearly part of the, like, well, werewolves like to fight thing is, like, 
in their animal forms, they don't feel pain in the same way and they have super fast healing. And like, yes, Caladia could magic herself some healing situation, I assume. But I do think, I, I find the idea that even a woman who can bench for about 250 pounds could keep up with the, what we understand a mystical werewolf to be. But she can be though. a little shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he can too, which she also thinks is very hot, right? Yeah, but he's a demon. Right, right, right. But she doesn't, she wants someone who's her equal as well. Yes. Right? Right. And I, that's like the whole sexual dynamic between them is they, they both are tempting the other one. And they're both like very attracted to each other. And right. they're both doing everything they can to kind of seduce the other person. But then they pull back at the last minute. So like there's this like a very hot push and pull between them. I will say there's a lot, like too much coitus interruptus in this mm-hmm. book. There's a lot of, as they say it in the book, cock and clit blocking. Yep. And I'm like, um, just have an orgasm. I have I'll a be weird, okay with the rest of it. I have a weird sex complaint. Tell me. It's what is just it? mine. Um, so Lucrezia and Cesare Borgia get brought up in this book. They do. Uh, and as and he had a threesome with them. And Lucrezia Borgia is actually one of the like people from history that I am like the most protective of. Oh no. And I did find the illusion of like she and her brother were total sodomites, like not sodomites, what's the word I want? In in incestuous hedonists. Hedonists. They were total hedonists. That, that, like, they were actually incestuous to be, like, really fucked up. Like, I get that it's a throwaway funny line, but as, like, someone who totally believes Lucrezia Borgia gets, like, the worst rap in history, having it just be thrown away, like, a throwaway line that she totally fucked her brother and other guys, like, kind of upset me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lane. She just, she just fucked, she just fucked Astaroth and her brother was there, too. I'm just saying, like, clearly this is not a question of punching down. She has been dead for centuries. But she's definitely a woman in history who did not earn her reputation. The men around her manipulated her, and it sucked a bunch. And here she is being a throwaway line because she's the woman who fucked her brother in history when there is literally no evidence of that. Okay, but this was a throwaway line, and it wasn't actually part of the sex scenes. Right, there's like three references to it. Yes. But what about the sex, though? I told you, I'm, like, really creeped out by the baby shit. Okay. <laughs> There's not actually baby shit. In my brain, it was infantilizing. Oh, my um, God. No, the, the hot spring sex was real hot. Yes. Thank you. Hot spring sex was very, very hot. Um, the 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 only one tent sex was very hot. Um, so anyway, yes, it's hot. It's it's a fun book. It's a totally deserving sequel to the first one. I was not sure how she was going to resume Azeroth. I thought she did a pretty good job. Yeah, I thought she did a good job with, of the redemption. I thought that the amnesia we used very, very well, especially in conjunction with the redemption. Yes. Honestly, I am looking forward to the next book. I'll totally read the next book in the series. I just really, really want it to come out like in October and not November. I, we've had this conversation. This is a Halloween book. Mm-hmm. This Zero is an October book. Candy canes. 
This is in October. This is like five bats out of candy canes. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening.